0: reading from the book my mother's favorite song page 103 this chapter is on loneliness we, we all experience a lot of loneliness in our lives <clears throat> I know I did and so I just want to reach out to all you guys out there that are lonely could be lonely I just want to say uh, I love you I'll give you an electronic hug and uh, let's, let's ask God to be our friend right now in this time of loneliness. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're lonely. We ask you to touch our hearts and our minds, Lord God. We just want to be honest with you. The reeling of the mind and the emotions and all these thoughts, Lord God. Thank you that we can go to you, Lord God, and ask you and be honest with you. We are lonely. Lord, you said you will never leave us nor forsake us, so come into our hearts and our minds. We ask in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this time we have together. Amen. Starting from page 103, the author, which is John Williams Smith, a teacher Really interesting, this guy devoted his life to teaching high school and and now he an incredible work of art is his book It covers all these topics that um, pertain to a healthy lifestyle so I just have a high respect for this guy. you know how hard is it to to write and to take time to write in, in a person's life It's just amazing and then put such a beautiful spin. In humor and laughter, and heart and death and life, all these topics. So, it gives me great pleasure and an honor to introduce his his various letters, chapter on loneliness. And this is his introduction. I used to dread loneliness, almost more than anything. I had no idea why it came or why it left, for that matter. It's just sort of a slip up on me, stealthily, gently, and slowly. I have noticed that it comes more frequently with age, and it is of different quality. I also have discovered why it comes. I used to think that it was the same thing as depression, but it isn't. At least it isn't for any more. I can be lonely without being depressed, although I don't believe I am ever depressed without being lonely. (laughs) When my wife says, what's the matter? Are you depressed? I can immediately say, no, it's not that. I think I'm just lonely. And when she says, why? Or lonely for what? Or I say, I'm not exactly sure, but it has something to do with home. My sense of loneliness will only grow from this point on, but I don't dread it anymore. As my love for life and for this earth grows less and less, as I learn that there is no lasting satisfaction, appeal, or joy in the things of this earth. As eternity gets closer and more real, as more and more of my loved ones stelt silently away, I know that nothing here is ever going to fill that undefined vacuum in my life that I call loneliness. It isn't morbid, it is doesn't rob me of either my joy or my determination to live every day to its fullest it's a sign of maturity of growth in God there are many things that lessen the emptiness that goes with loneliness and this chapter is designed to bring a positive and spiritual outlook to your life sharing these good years with my wife, watching my children grow and being their families, began their families, meditating on God's word, praying, communion with God, and singing songs of praise, visiting old scenes and anticipating new ones, accepting the challenge every day to make a difference in someone's life, utilizing every experience and lesson God has taught me to help some struggling program on his way. All of these give me strength to live with my loneliness without wallowing in despair. Loneliness helps me understand that the Apostle Paul statements about his desire to depart and be with Jesus. I also understand that he is right after that too. The part about God not being finished with him here and as long as He was here, he was going to live usefully and productively. May God help us all to be so determined. And now, a chapter on the birds. Look at the birds. When I lived in San Antonio, Texas, I could not find a job. I was humiliated, time for, for me. It was a humiliating time for me because I had never been in that position before. My wife has a secure a teaching position, which was very helpful financially, but increased my sense of failure immeasurably. It was a time of much intros- introspection, soul-searching, and personal loneliness for me. It was also a time when I discovered that I had not made as much progress in my quest to know God as I thought I had. In fact, I had taken a few steps backwards. By the way, I'm reading outside on my porch, and um, there seems to be some people living life dramatically, actually enjoying themselves. They must be watching the basketball game. My wife is in there watching the basketball game, and I just can't simply see uh, spending a Saturday on the couch watching basketball when it's so beautiful out here outside in God's world. So I'm glad I, I was able to break away. I'm on the porch in front of my house, and there's traffic. So I wave at strangers. <laughs> Okay, back to the story. The author says, I had taken a few steps backwards. Through the kindness and generosity of many dear people who loved me practically and with good hearts, I was helped to start a firewood business. I bought chainsaws, a truck, and the necessary tools. I was given a place to cut wood near Seguin, and I began. Up in the bushes. I had never operated a chainsaw before in my life. It's amazing how quickly you can learn something when the need is upon you. I left the house at 3.30 a.m. and often did not return until long after dark because my need was great. I priced my wood modestly and I sold all I could cut. I was totally alone all day. The sheer unrelenting brutal labor was good for me. I did not mean that I thought it was good for me at that time. I mean, looking back, it was good for me at that time. I felt sorry for myself. I thought I was the only person in the world who had to work for a living because I worked alone. Hi. My bitterness and resentment were increased in my isolation, by my isolation. One very cold and overcast day, I was practicing particularly depressed, I was tired, broke far behind in feeling my orders and frustrated with the cruel misfortune of life which seemed to mock me. (laughs) Here I was a college education cutting firewood, at one point my chain was dull when it struck a small rock that had lodged at the joint of a limb on the hickory tree i was cutting i had just sharpened it a very arduous and time-consuming task and in my already depressed and harried condition it was the last straw i sat down on the stump of the tree i had just cut and my eyes began to fill with tears miles from any person totally alone i sat and cried Eventually, I cried, uh, and when I began to be restored, I noticed a very small bird, a wren. I think it perched on a limb, almost within touching distance. It seemed totally unafraid and watched me with, the, with what I judged to be friendly curiosity. I spoke to it. I know that sounds dumb, totally irrational, but I did. I was so alone that I needed to speak to something, and the bird was the only thing around. Hi, I said. It jumped quickly to a higher limb, but no farther away. It bounced and jerked so cheerfully and lightly that it made me laugh. A soft, gentle, inside kind of a laugh. What are you so happy about? Do you ever get lonely or depressed? I didn't expect an answer, but when it cocked its head to one side and looked at me with such an intelligent curiosity, I listened intently, just for a moment, in spite of myself. When I was a child, I might have expected an answer and got it too, but not now. I am far too old and wise for that. The little bird was company, and he lifted my spirits. As I watched him, I remember Jesus saying, Look at the birds, are you not worth more than they? Look, that passage kept running through my mind like I was supposed to learn something from it. It was like I was hearing it for the first time. Look at the birds, Jesus said. Look, look, look at the birds. I began to realize that I never had, you know, I had seen birds, yeah. I, I had hunted birds. I had shot birds. I had cleaned birds, cut up birds, cooked birds, eaten birds. I had even fed birds. But I never looked at them. God help me, I thought, and God forgive me for not looking at the birds. I have argued, <laughs> argued doctrine until the smallest gnat <clears throat> was not only strained out of my dissect. But dissected, I have pondered the grace works tension until I nearly snap. I have worried and worried myself over a woman's role in the church and questions about authority until I was wretched. <laughs> because I thought God wanted me to, and he does. But I had never looked at the birds because I thought the passage was symbolic or figurative or maybe unimportant. I had not learned the weightier matters of the law that bring balance, restore harmony, and cure loneliness. If I had spent more time looking at birds, I would have been a better person. I would have known far more about loving God, my brethren, my enemies, my family, even myself, and I would have been less lonely. Wrestling with millennialism, and questionings about the holy spirit is all right i suppose but it does not speak to the real issues of life i do not at all mean that i should not wrestle with those things i do mean that a person can cure his loneliness and learn more about his relationship to god by looking at the birds than he will be by arguing doctrine <laughs> Now I'm outside, and I too, eaten birds, fed birds, killed birds, uh, stalked birds, but I have looked at birds. I have spent countless of hours observing birds. When I was a little boy, uh, there was no fences. I guess it was the country. And I'd take off and wander in, in the countryside by myself. And I see this beautiful uh, waist high, which actually was head high to me. I was five years old. Uh, it looked like wheat, but it was just wild grass. And it was just swayed. I mean, it was maybe a couple of acres. It was beautiful. The grass would sway back and forth. And I would run and do a flip and land on my back like a somersault. And just hoping I would not hit a rock or something like that. But the grass, it just looks, it looks too spongy not to do that and to just uh, enjoy it. And <clears throat> one time I was just laying down in the grass and all of a sudden a uh, little parakeet showed up. And I guess the parakeet had gotten loose because it was just right next to me. And then the parakeet had a following of other birds, a lot of little uh the smaller birds were following of a different kind, about maybe 12 of them. And they all got on my left side. The parakeet was at my right, and the, the sparrows were at my left. And I was in the middle, and we were all little children of God in nature, loving. I could just almost reach over and touch the parakeet to see if he wanted to get on my arm, get in my hand. And he jumped and flew away, and all these other little birds followed the leader. They took off. One time, I was just meditating in the park as an adult, and it was raining, and it was meditation time. And I saw a big—and the wind and the rain was coming down, and it was a little strong— And I saw a big bird, not a really big bird, about the size of a pigeon. I couldn't tell what kind of bird it was, but he was flying against the wind, and he was going dashing through the park, going north against the wind and the rain. And there was a little bird right in back of it. They were not of the same species, but he was following the big bird because the big bird was breaking the wind for him. And they both just trucked through the air like, A very beautiful sight to see amen and the other the other point when he said the bird looked at him intelligently a lot of us have had that we have seen squirrels look at us intelligent i have seen deers in a headlight look at me intelligent Uh, and you know what they're thinking they're intelligent they're saying you don't know you were created and that there's a God that loves you? Kind of a look. I have had that many times. <clears throat> One time I was I was fretting about how God was gonna take care of me. You know, my I didn't have a job, I had a car payment, a house payment, and every kind of payment. And I looked outside and there was a squirrel and there was no squirrels in that area and there was a squirrel eating a nut and he was just looking at me and i'm thinking and he's eating a, a nut came out of nowhere never seen any squirrels in my backyard haven't seen any since in that area I don't know where the squirrel came from there was no trees around only railroad and yet the squirrel was just looking at me through the sitting on the on the fence eating a colonel and thinking, you know, he he's gonna feed you. It's gonna be alright, man. God's got it. Did God didn't say, I'm always with you, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God t- told me to tell you, the scroll says, that it's gonna be alright. Yep, you don't have a job, but it's gonna be alright. Yep, you don't know where you're gonna get your next paycheck, but it's gonna be alright. Yep. It's all about clapping. Well, I just started praising God, thanking Him, and here I am. It was all right. And it's been all right hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. It's been all right. And to this day, it's all right. Thank you for coming on today for another heaping spoonful of james harriet's dog stories and today i believe we left off one of the stories we haven't read is uh page 21 excuse me chapter 21 magnus and company m-a-g-n-u-s magnus <clears throat> There was one marvelous thing about the setup in Derby. I had the inestimable advantage of being a large animal practitioner with a passion for dogs and cats. So that although I spent most of my time in the wide outdoors of Yorkshire, there was always the captivating background of the household pits to make a contrast. I treated some of them every day and it made it an extra interest in my life. Interests of a different kind, based on sentiment instead of commerce, and because of the way things were, it was something I could linger over and enjoy. I suppose with a very intensive small animal practice, it would be easy to regard the thing as a huge sausage machine, an endless procession of hairy forms to prod with, hypodermic needles. But in Daraway, we got to know them all as individual entities. Driving through the town, I was able to identify my ex-patients without difficulty. Rover Johnson recovered from his ear canker, coming out of the ironmongers with her mistress, Patch Walker, whose broken leg had healed beautifully. Balanced happily on the back of his owner's coal wagon or spot brakes, who was a bit of a rake anyway and would soon be tearing himself again on barbed wire, ambling all alone across the marketplace, cobbles in search of adventure. I got quite a kick out of recalling their ailments and mulling over their characteristics because they all had their own personalities. And they were manifested in different ways. One of these was his personal reaction to me and my treatment. Most dogs and cats appear to bear me not the slightest ill will, despite the fact that I usually had to do something disagreeable to them. But there was an exception of all these was Magnus, the miniature dashbound from the drove's arms. You know I read that story already. It's in here, Magnus. I don't remember. And then go ahead and read. Wow, that's a long story. And then I read The Last Visit. I remember that one, Benjamin. Moving right along here. Cedric. I remember reading that one, number 20 degree, with the farting uh, boxer, (laughs) the boxer dog. It's amazing how people love their dogs in this. Um, high society, very well polite lady, just fell in love with this dog and she just cared for him like it was a child. But he had a problem, farted all the time. So they gave him to the gardener and the gardener couldn't smell and they both made a a great combination. okay our next story is number 25 called the bandage finger stories of james harriet animal small animal and large animal practitioner here we go i was castrating pigs and rory was holding them there were several litters to do, and I was in a hurry and failed to notice the Irish farm worker's mounting apprehension. His young boss was catching the little animals and handing them to Rory, where he, who held them upside down, gripped between his thighs and their legs apart. <clears throat> I read this one already. The scalpel came really close to uh, castrating the guy who was holding the piggies. <laughs> Okay, story number 26, Cheps Hobby, C-H-E-P-S, Hobby. Mr. Bale's little place was situated about halfway along Highburn Village. And to get into the farmyard, you had to walk 20 yards or so between five foot walls. On the left was the neighboring house on the right the front garden of the farm in this garden sheep lurk for most of the day he was a huge dog much larger than the average collie. in fact I am convinced he was part Elsadian, because though he had <clears throat> luxuriant black and white coat there was something significant in the massive limbs and in the noble brown shaded head with its upstanding ears he was quite different from the stringy little animals I saw on my daily round. <clears throat> as I walked between the walls, my mind was already in the byre, just visible as the far end of the yard, because one of the Bailey's cows, Rose by name, had the kind of obscure digestive ailment which <clears throat> interferes with veterinary insurgents sleep. They are so difficult to diagnose. This animal had begun to grunt and go off her her milk two days ago. And when I had seen her yesterday, I had flitted from one possibility to the other. Could be a wire, but the forked stomach was contracting well and there was plenty of ruminal sounds. Also, she was eating a little hay in a half-hearted way. Could it be impactation or a partial torsion of the gut? There was abdominal pain without a doubt, and that nagging temperature of 102.5. That was damn like a wire. Of course, I could settle the whole thing by opening the cow up, but Mr. Bills was an old fashioned type and didn't like the idea of my diving into his animals unless I was certain of my diagnosis. And I wasn't There was no getting away from that. I wasn't there. I was halfway down the alley between the walls with the hope right before me that my patient would improve. When from nowhere, an appalling explosion of sound blasted into my ear. It was Chep again. The wall was just the right height for the dog to make a leap and bark into the ear of the passerby. It was a favorite gambit of his, and I had been caught before, but never so successfully as now. My attention had been so far away, and the dog had timed his jump to a split second so that his bark came at the highest point. His teeth only inches from my face, and his voice befitted his size, a great bull bellow surging from the depths of his powerful chest and booming from his gasping jaws. I rose several inches into the air, and when I descended, heart thumping, head singing, a glare over the wall, but as usual, I saw what the hairy form bounding away out of sight around the corner of the house. That was what puzzled me. Why did he do it? Was he a savage creature with evil design on me? Or was his idea of a joke? I never got near enough to him to find out. I wasn't in the best shape to receive bad news, and that was what awaited me in the Byron. I had only looked at the farmer's face to know the cow was worse. I reckon she got a stoppage, Mr. Bales muttered gloomily. I gritted my teeth. The entire spectrum of abdominal disorders were lumped as stoppages by the older race of farmers, and the oil hadn't worked then nay she's not about passing little hard bits it's a proper stoppage i tell you right mr bales i said with a twisted smile we'll have to try something stronger i brought in from my car the gastric lavage outfit i loved so well and which has so sadly disappeared from my life the long rubber stomach tube the wooden gag with its leather strap to buckle behind the horns As I pumped in the two gallons of warm water, rich in formulae and sodium chloride, I felt like Napoleon sending in the old guard at Waterloo. If this didn't work, nothing would. Next morning, I was driving down the single village street when I saw Mr. Bales coming out of the shop. I drew up and pushed my head out the window. How's Rose this morning, Mr. Bales? She rested her basket on the ground and looked down on me gravely. Oh, she's bad, Mr. Harriet, she's bad. My husband thinks she's going down fast. If you want to find him, you'll have to go across the field. There, he's minding the door in the little barn. A sudden misery enveloped me as I drove over to the gate leading into the field. I left the car in the road and lifted the latch. Damn, 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 I muttered as I trailed across the green. I had a nasty feeling that a little strategy was building up here. If this animal died, it would be a sickening blow to a small farmer with 10 cows and a few pigs. I should be able to do something about it. And it was a depressing thought that I that I was getting nowhere. And yet, despite it all, I felt peace stealing into my soul. It was as a large field, and I could see the barn at the far end as I walked with the tall grass, brushing my knees. It was a meadow ready for cutting, and suddenly I realized that it was high summer, the sun was hot, and that every step brought the fragrance of clover and warm grass rising about me in the crystal freshness of the air. Somewhere nearby a field of broad beans was in full flower, and as the exotic scent drifted across, I found myself inhaling with half-closed eyes as I thought, straining to discern the ingredients of the glorious melange. And then there was a silence. It was the most soothing thing of all, that and the feeling of being alone. I looked drowsily around at the empty green miles of sleeping under the sunshine. Nothing stirred. There was no sound. Then without a warning, the ground at me feet erupted in an incredible blast of noise. For a dreadful moment, the blue sky was obscured by an enormous hairy form, and a red mouth went, wah, in my face, almost screaming. I staggered back, and as I glared widely, I saw sheep disappearing at top speeds towards the gate. Concealed in the deep herbage right in the middle of the field, he had waited till he saw the whites of my eyes before making his assault. Chep disappearing at the top speed towards the gate. Whether he had been there by action or whether he had spotted me arriving and slunk into position, I shall never know. But from his point of view, the result must have been immensely satisfactory because it was certainly the worst fright I have ever had. I live a life which is well larded with scars and alarms, but this great dog rising, bellowing from the empty landscape was something on his own. I have heard of cases where sudden terror and stress had caused Involuntary evacuation of the bowels, and I know without question that this was the occasion when I came nearest to suffering that unhappy faith. I was still trembling when I reached the barn and hardly said a word as Mr. Bale led me back across the road to the farm. And it was like rubbing it in when I saw my patient. The flesh had melted from her and she stared at the wall apathetically from sunken eyes. The doom-laden grunt was louder. I decided to have one last go with the lavage. It was still the strongest weapon in my armory, but this time I added two pounds of black treco to the mixture. Nearly every farmman had a barrel of this stuff in his cowhouse in those days. I had only to go into the corner and turn the tap. It was not till the following afternoon that I drive into Highburn, I left the car outside the farm and was about to walk between the walls when I paused and stared at a cow in the field on the other side of the road. It was a pasture next to the hay field of yesterday, and that cow was rose. There could be no mistake, she was a fine deep red with a distinctive white mark like a football on her left flank. I opened the gate, and within seconds my cares dropped from me. She was wonderfully, miraculously improved. In fact, she looked like a normal animal. I walked up to her and scratched the root of her tail. She was a docile creature and merely looked around at me as she cropped the grass, and her eyes were no longer sunken but bright and full. As the wave of relief flooded through through me, I saw Mr. Bales climbing over the wall from the next field. He would still be mending that barn door. As he approached, I felt a pang of commiseration. I had to guard against any display of triumph. After all, the poor chap had been worried. No, it wouldn't do to preen myself unduly. Ah, good morning to you, Mr. Bales, I said expansively. Rose looks fine today, doesn't she? The farmer took up his cap and wiped his brow. Eh, hey, she's a different cow now, all right. I don't think she needs any more treatment, I said. I hesitated. Perhaps one little dig would do no harm. But it is a good thing I gave her that extra lavage yesterday. Yawn, pumping job, Mr. Bales raised his eyebrows. Oh, that I had not to do with it. What? What do you mean? I cure her, surely? Nay, lad, Jim Oakley cured her. Jim, what on earth? Hey Jim was around here last night. He often comes in in the evening and he looked He took one look at the cow and told me what to do I Tell you she was like dying that pumping job hadn't done no good at all He told me to give her a bloody good gallop around the field What? Hey That's what he said He's seen him like that afore, and a good gal that put him right. So we got Rose out here and did as he said, and by God, it did the trick. She looked better right away. I drew myself up, and who I asked frigidly is Jim Oakley. He's the postman, of course. The postman, eh? But he used to keep a few bees years ago. He's a very clever man. Wick stock is jim no doubt but i assure you mr bales the farmer said raise a hand say no more lad jim put her right and there's no denying it i wish you seen him chasing her around he's as all as me but by gall it did go he can run like hell can jim he chuckled reminiscently i had had about enough during the farmer's eulogy. I had been distractedly scratching the cow's tail and had soiled my hand in the process. Mustering the remains of my dignity, I I nodded to Mr. Bales. Well, I must be on my way. Do you mind if I go in the house to wash my hands? You go right in, he replied. "Tis missus will get you some hot water. It seems to take a long time to reach the end of the wall. And I was about to turn right towards the door of the farmer's kitchen when from my left I heard a sudden rattle of a chain. Then a roaring creature launched itself at me, bayed once mightily into my face and was gone. This time I thought my heart would stop. With my defenses at their lowest, I was in no state to withstand Chip. I had quite forgotten that Mrs. Bales occasionally tethered him in the current kennel at the entrance of discouraged, unwelcome visitors. And as I half laid against the wall, the blood thundering in my ears, I looked dully at the long coil of chain on the cobbles. I had no time for people who lose their tempers with animals, but something snapped in my mind then. All my frustrations burst from me in torn and incoherent shouts as I grabbed the chain and began to pull on it frenziedly. That dog which had tortured me was there in that kennel. for, For once I knew where to get at him, and this time I was going to have the matter out with him. The candle would be about 10 feet away, and at first I saw nothing. There was only the dead weight at the end of the chain. <laughs> then, as I haul inexor- inexorably, a nose appeared, then a head, then all, all over the big animal, hanging by his collar. I thought <laughs> you were out here with somebody, so I still at right the wall. <laughs> He showed no desire to get up and greeted me, but I was merciless and dragged him inch by inch over the cobbles till he was lying at my feet. Besides myself, with rage, I crouched, shook my fist under his nose and yelled at him from a few inches range. You big bugger, if you do that again to me, I'll knock your bloody head off. Do you hear me? I'll knock your bloody head off. Clean off. Chep rolled frightened eyes at me and his tail flickered apologetically between his legs. When I continued to scream at him, he bared his upper teeth in an ingrating grin and finally rolled on his back where he lay inert with half-closed eyes. So now I knew he was a softie. All his ferocious attack was just a game. I began to calm down, but for all that I wanted him to get the message right mate i said in a menacing whisper i remember what i said i'll let go the chain and gave a final shove. now get back in there chip almost on his knees tail tucked well in shot back into his kennel and i turned to the farmhouse to wash my hands i was surprised when about a month later i received another call to one of mr bale's cows I felt that after my performance with Rose, he would have called on the services of Jim Oakley for any further trouble. But no, his voice on the phone was as polite and friendly as ever, with not a hint that he had lost faith. It was strange. Leaving my car outside the farm, I looked wearily into the front garden before venturing between the walls. A faint twinkle of, of metal told me that Shep was lurking there in his kennel, and I slowed my steps. I wasn't to be caught again. At the end of the alley, I paused, waiting, but as all I saw was the end of a nose, which quietly withdrew as I stood there. So my outburst had gotten through to the big dog. He knew I wasn't going to stand any more nonsense from him. And yet, as I drove away after the visit, I didn't feel good about it. A victory over an animal is a hollow one and I had the uncomfortable feeling that I had deprived him of his chief pleasure. After all, every creature is entitled to some form of recreation, and though Chef's hobby could result in the occasional heartfelt failure it was, after all, his thing and part of him, the thought that I had crushed something out of his life was disquitting. One, I wasn't proud disquieting one. So that when later that summer I was driving through Highburn, I paused in anticipation outside the Bailey's farm. The village street, white and dusty, slumbered under the afternoon sun and the blanketing silence nothing moved except for one small man strolling towards the opening between the walls. He was fat and very dark, one of the tinkers from a camp outside the village and he carried an armful of pots and pans. From my vantage point, I could see through the railings into the front garden where Chep was slinking noisily into a position beneath the stones. Fascinated, I watched as the man turned unheardly into the opening and the dog followed the course of the disembodied head along the top of the wall. As I expected, it all happened halfway along. The perfect time leap and the monetary pause of the summit, then the tremendous woof and the unsuspecting ear. It had its usual effect. I had a brief view of flaying arms and flying pots and pans followed by a prolonged metallic clatter. Then the little man reappeared with like a projectile, turned right and sped away from me up the street. Considering his almost rum physique, he showed astonishing turn of speed, his little legs pistoning, and he did not pause till he disappeared into the shop at the far end of the village. I don't know why he went in there because he wouldn't find any stronger restorative than ginger pop. Chep. The dog, apparently well satisfied, wandered back over the grass and collapsed in a cool patch where an apple tree grew its shade over the grass. Head on paws, he waited in comfort for his next victim. I smiled to myself as I let in the clutch and moved off. I would stop at the shop and tell the little man that he could collect his and path without the slightest fear of being torn limb from limb but my overriding emotion was one of relief that I had not cut the sparkle out of the big dog's life. Shep was still having fun. The fact that dogs clearly love to play or have some source of amusement makes me feel that people should really keep two dogs so that they would never be lonely. However, this is often inconvenient or impossible, so the more often an owner can play with his pet, the better. It is surprising that what can be done in this way, tug of war, retrieving, even hide and seek. Sometimes, of course, a dog will find his own entertainment as Chep did. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful story. Do you have a story? I'd like to hear it. Huh. Have a good day. Thank you for listening.